when I talk to people about their financial situation, because everyone's going through something different. I always talk about the three Ds. It's either do death, disease, or debt. That makes you think completely different about your current financial situation. I made bad financial situations because someone had died in my family or we just didn't have things you know, set up that we should have. I've dealt with my own disease, mental, mental health. And right now dealing with infertility is extremely difficult because one, culturally, you know, being Latina, there's always that, oh, everyone's fertile myrtle. Or <laughs> Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-word. Welcome back to the Most Hated F-Word podcast. Today, my guest is Natalie Torres Haddad. Who is Natalie? Well... She is an author, a two-time TEDx speaker, a bilingual podcast host, and a financial literacy and mental health advocate. As a Salvadorian immigrant and first-generation college student, she has focused much of her career on helping others with financial literacy and mental well-being. She is part of the 4% of Latinas to earn a master's degree in the U.S. and is the first Salvadorian American female to publish a book about finances and the elimination of student debt. When I first heard of Natalie, I really found her work fascinating and I thought it was so so great that she was this first Saldorvian American female to publish a book about personal finances and we talk about in the episode how this perhaps is giving permission to other Latino Americans who want to publish the next finance book or next book on whatever topic they decide. I went into this conversation thinking we would talk about all of Natalie's accomplishments her TEDx presentations, her books, her podcast, and all the work she has done in helping others build financial literacy within themselves. While we did touch on some of these topics, what I really appreciated about this conversation is Natalie's courage to embrace the human condition. The fact that we all have so many untold stories that are taking up space in our minds and impacting how we think, feel, and believe about everything, including our money. And at times, releasing these stories is what is needed, as it helps us and it will help other people who are listening to the stories who have similar stories. Natalie openly shared about her journey as her and her husband work through IVF treatments. She talks about the emotional tolls it has, the financial costs that come with it, and the difficulties of navigating through the financial systems as they decide on how to pay for these treatments. Natalie shares how infertility impacts one in seven. That's a high statistic. I appreciated her willingness to talk about this because as she says, a lot of individuals don't feel comfortable talking about infertility as they feel like it's taboo. And coupled with the financial costs that come associated with it, which is also taboo, Natalie's story is going to help many people. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation. I encourage you all to check out Natalie at Financial Savvy Latina, where she has 
her website, a wonderful podcast, links to all of her books, and more information about herself. She also encouraged people to reach out on Instagram. I'll include her Instagram in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Natalie Torres Haddad. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I first saw your work through a TEDx video, which I'm sure we'll get to. And then the internet is such a fascinating thing that I just got to dive in and learn so much about you, despite you know nothing about me. And that's a wonderful thing about the internet. (laughs) But hopefully by the end of this conversation, our audience gets to hear about the wonderful work that you're doing. On my podcast, we talk a lot about money stories. Um, That's something that I find quite fascinating myself, how... Our upbringings shape the beliefs, thoughts, feelings, and actions we have in and around money, often unconscious. And I I know just hearing you on some other podcasts and reviewing it, you've done some work around recognizing your stories growing up. Historically, we look at our financial services systems as a one-size-fits-all conversation. And I say that I'm, I'm a financial planner by trade. I see we get trained by here's one plan. Despite there's seven point whatever billion people in the world this should implement. And also through like technical training, we generally ignore the cultural impacts that play or have a hand in writing our money stories. When you reflected on your money story, as a first generation immigrant from El Salvador coming to LA, growing up in LA, you've had two different competing, I would imagine, cultural stories happening. How did those both balance out to influence your overall story you tell yourself around money? It's an ever-changing story, I'll be honest with you, because I'm now 40 and I feel like I'm barely grasping my own story. And I hear that a lot from people. They're like, oh, my story is always changing. So being able to balance these two worlds, right? These two cultural cultures that make me has been a challenge at times, but it's also been kind of beautiful in a sense where, as you said, you you, saw, you found me online and and it's it's funny when you go into that rabbit hole because you're like, it all started with me teaching soon-to-be college graduates on how to deal with student debt, how to pay it down. And obviously a lot of my teachings resonated with them because a lot of them were first-generation college students. And for me, I am immigrant. I'm actually an immigrant refugee. And I didn't even hone that story until a few years ago when Trump got elected. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start explaining where I'm from and, and exactly. I'm from El Salvador, so my, most of my family fled during the Civil War. It impacted us in many ways because for many immigrants, depending where you are in the country, anywhere in the world, period, whether you do come from difficulties as as far as war and right now we see what's going on in the world, it has an effect on lack of of abundance, right? So you feel you're coming from a place of scarcity, um, fear as well, because for my family, we feared our lives. One of my uncle was killed as his civilian. There is a lot of trauma that comes with that. We don't really understand the trauma until, unfortunately, until we're older. You mentioned I'm an uh, advocate for mental health. And it's one, because I've been in therapy myself for the past now, almost, I think, want to say 13 years. I have to look back exactly. But, you know, speaking to therapists, working with support groups, I have a lot of close friends that are actual therapists themselves. And just the conversations we have around generational trauma, how it affects our everyday life, especially our money. I was lucky that I always had everything I needed from my parents. I felt like I never was lacking. But we were definitely in the moments where I was like, we struggled. Uh, we lived in Inglewood, California, very poverty-stricken area where mostly we're immigrants. And you start to see what is around you. And so you start to think, oh, is that what my life is supposed to look like? And my parents were like, dream big, do, do whatever it is that you need to do. We'll support you. And, and hopefully education will get you 
as far as you need to. So that's why education was really big in our home. And then being the first to go to college and all that was a whole nother journey in itself, but also came with a lot of student debt. So until this day, I always tell people it's something that is not something that, you know, you fix overnight. There's moments where you're like, oh, that's why I think this way. Or the fact that I said it, it took me a few years to even say I was an immigrant refugee. In my head, I didn't want to think that way. And for many years, actually, I'll, I'll be honest, in high school and college, I thought I was just a first generation because I'm a fluent English speaker, Spanish, right? But I was a baby when they came here. So it was very much, I always say, kind of almost born and raised here. And so I wanted to hone in to look like and feel like everyone else, right? And so I didn't understand that, wait, there's a lot of other things that have happened to our family, to myself, that will affect how I make decisions moving forward. And when I meet other other people that have had some kind of generational trauma, a lot of it has affected their money. And my money story, like I said, it's always changing. And we can probably go a little deeper into what I'm going through right now. I speak all over the country. And right now it's always, it's been virtual because of the pandemic. Prior to that, you know, seeing people face-to-face, one-on-one, hearing their stories, it doesn't really matter where you are positioned in your world. And it does matter how you perceive yourself, what resources are available to you too, right? And so when I would meet some of these students or actually graduates, they would tell me just kind of what they were trying to figure out. How do you place yourself in the real world, right? And how do you balance now living a regular life, maybe dealing with student debt and trying to start your career? And our chapters keep changing. Um, It's the conversation we keep having. It's like, the fact that I'm now 40 and what my conversations look very different at 30 and at 20. And I'm hoping my fifties will be just as different as awesome. <laughs> and you know, this as a financial planner, you see a lot of, that's one of the biggest questions. Like, what do you, what do you see for yourself in the future? What is your, you know, five years from now, what is it that you want? So it's ever changing. And during uncertain times, during a pandemic, there are so many crises in the world. I think Myself, I'm always constantly asking, okay, what's important to me right now? How can I provide for my family and my community? What is it that is within my control? Because there's just so many things that are out of control. Thank you. So many great things there that I'm trying to think of where to go based on your your wonderful answer. I have so much appreciation for, for individuals like yourself who have the courage to tell these untold stories. I think we all have a own version of an untold story and you know for for your your story like you said it to tell the whole story you know it maybe didn't feel right at, until that certain time and i think taking that courage gives permission to so many other people who might be feeling what you did to to tell their story so yeah so th- thank you for that with this idea of stories and courage you also said maybe we can go deeper into what you're going through right now most of the people in around me are going through something right now Having this alteration in how we live our lives for the last two years impacted so, so many of us. And whether we acknowledge it or whether we're just bearing it down, like something that I'm very historically good at doing is bearing it down and hope it doesn't come out. But of course it does in a dysfunctional way. So maybe let's hear from you of what what you're going through now as a way for the listeners. They're probably going to start thinking about themselves to see what they're going through. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say courage because... For me, that, that's not the first word that comes to my mind when I'm talking about difficult or taboo subjects or just, you know, something difficult that someone might be going through. I think the first word that comes out is just kind of like, maybe I feel like it might be therapeutic or I can connect with someone else that could probably help me. Just kind of hearing someone else's story always feels like, all right, I'm not the only one going through this. And I know you said you found me through one, watching one of my TED Talks and I, one of the difficult things I remember when I was formulating the, the talk 
what I was speaking in that particular talk, it took me almost eight years to publicly say out loud. And then the fact that I'm doing it in such a public way was, I was going through a lot during <laughs> that time, which people can watch that later find out. But I think it usually comes out of some place of maybe anger or I want answers or I want to know how I can fix it and, and hopefully fix it for somebody else so they don't have to deal with it. And right now, I don't even know if I'm going to get emotional talking to you about this because I haven't really... I'm still processing and I haven't actually shared this so much publicly besides my own podcast, right? I let my listeners know and on the platforms that we have that I'm lucky that I have a support group as far as a team. I'm an incredible co-host. I have a great team behind me. So if there's a day where I can't work because I have to go to doctor's appointments or deal with, you know, with what I'm dealing with right now, I can rely on them, right? And so I publicly, well, when I had the conversation with my co-sphere, I said, you know what? Let's talk about my miscarriage. Let's talk about what I'm going through because it is a very taboo subject. It's a very difficult subject. And at the time too, when when you're going through something, for those that are dealing with postpartum, I know what that feels like. The frustration of depression, all that. I've, I've dealt with so many years of that on my own. Luckily, I have the tools in place to help me just kind of stay afloat. (laughs) You know, I have my therapist, I have my support group, you know, I'm trying to practice self-care as much as I can. But even with all of that, I still sometimes feel like short. There's no way I feel like I can function, you know, the next day. And you just don't know how it turns sometimes. And so when I talk to people about their financial situation, because everyone's going through something different, there's three things that always, I always talk about the three Ds. It's three either do death, disease, or debt. That makes you think completely different about your current financial situation. I've been in places where, yes, I made bad financial situations because someone had died in my family or we just didn't have things, you know, set up the way we should have. I've dealt with my own disease, mental mental health. And right now, um, dealing with infertility is extremely difficult because one, culturally, you know, being Latina, there's always that, oh, everyone's fertile myrtle. Or (laughs) um, in my family, majority of my family and friends, they were pregnant by the time they were 21. <laughs> you know, they had the first kid at that time. And so it was unheard of to hear women that I know of having difficulty after 30. I didn't get married till I was 31. And, and I didn't want to have kids prior to that either. I was like, oh, I want to have kids a little bit later in life. And it's been such a struggle for my husband and I because we've almost been married 10 years in November and we've gone through so many different difficult situations. I mean, we tried almost everything from underneath the sun and still trying, obviously. And so when we had this, you know, okay, you know, we're excited, you know, when you're not supposed to talk about your pregnancy early on or not talk about it until it's way further down the line, they say, especially at my age, because it's a 50, 50% chance of losing. And so when it did happen, it was um, extremely emotional because it is an emotional traumatic experience, but it was called a silent miscarriage or miscarriage, meaning I didn't know I was miscarrying because I still having morning sickness. I still was showing. Uh, my body still thought I was pregnant until we went through a routine checkup that a doctor was like, well, fortunately, I have to confirm no heartbeat. I've gone through some difficult things in my life. And I think by far, because it just happened in November, it's been one of the most difficult things mentally because it is not only a taboo subject still, um, there isn't any real financial support for that. Um, this morning, I actually just received an email about the um, IVF bill that is up in, Cal- in California and actually throughout the country to help force insurance companies to help support fertility treatments. Everything's out of pocket, extremely expensive. And unless certain companies, there are very few companies that I know that do will pay for fertility treatments, but usually for executive levels. I find it very difficult for 
when I hear couples, especially women saying, and especially if, if you're doing this alone or you're in a, a gay relationship, right? So the fact that everything is out of pocket and we're talking about thousands of dollars, you know, and when I say I'm, what I'm in right now is it's almost like you're shopping for a car or a loan or it is the weirdest experience because I've done all this before as far as looking for loans for properties, for, you know, the overwhelming information you're getting and then just trying to figure out, okay, what's the most rational and then what will work. The difference with fertility, infertility situations is you can still go about looking at it like, okay, let's look at the different types of programs and then the different types of loans that come with and the different interest rate if you decide to finance that, if you can't pay it out of pocket, it's not easy to take out the rational part. Because at least with the car, at least with the property, at least with other loans, you can think more rationally. But when it comes to matters of the heart, when it comes to that small percentage that we're told that, you know, you're less than a less than an 8% chance that you can conceive, you're like, oh, that's a, that's a really bad investment, you can <laughs> say. And the fact that I, I meet so many women that said they've gone through uh, multiple rounds of IBF, IUI, there's so many different types, and it didn't work for them. I know there's that frustration where it's like, there was nothing to show at the end, right? As opposed to at the end, you have a property. At the end, you have a degree. At the end, you have something that you know you can control. And this is one thing that you're just literally gambling. And everyone that knows me, I hate gambling. Even, you know, when we go to Vegas, I'd rather go watch a show, spend some money on food instead of like gambling. And so the fact that this is really a gambling game and the fact that you're, you know, you can look typically even, I know Canada has certain different prices, but you could easily look at a round costing fifteen to 30000 just one round. And not just the emotional strain that you're going through, the physical strain. I mean, injections, the medication. I, I joke around with my girlfriends and say, talk about being hormonal at 40. It's like add extra hormones that you're taking. Yeah. <laughs> I keep saying, oh, I hope God you know, gives my husband more patience. You know? But it's, it's that kind of how do you feel like you can mentally stay focused and strong when you're dealing with such a difficult situation that it's hard for most people to understand. And then you add the added factor of the fear of losing again, which is extremely difficult. You know, there's all these other factors that are out of control. And so for me, when I tell people I'm going through it right now, and, and, and I've been very public about it recently on my, on my Instagram where, you know, I'm a public speaker and, and I'm not a motivational speaker, but I, I feel like I have to motivate people because I know that's how I feel about, you know, talking about finances, like, why wouldn't you want to feel happy when you're talking about this? You know, if not, you're not going to learn anything about it. And so there's moments where I'm like, I'm already scheduled to speak at conferences and I have to come with that mental state, right? Because this is my work. This is what I, this would not only pay my bills, but what I love to do. And it's sometimes really difficult to find the same ambition or the same worth ethic that I had prior because it's so overly consuming and overwhelming of thinking of what our fertility journey looks like. And I wish there was a lot more financial support, you know, and it's funny where, especially talking to so many of our insurance or about insurance and, you know, they're like, well, if you, if you meet this criteria, this can be covered, uh, but everything else is completely out of pocket. And so going back to like the three D's, right. You're like, well, the savings emergency funds we have, we might have to use some of that for this, or do I do that instead of taking out a loan? And if so, are we willing to take that risk of it not working. And then at least, you know, you kind of go with this. So that's kind of where I feel like I'm constantly going back and forth of like, all right, I can try it and, you know, try, you know, try this next round and whatever it might be. And at least I can be okay with the fact that I, I try, but it's also that frustration where I'm like, oh, I know I'm going to be pissed if it doesn't work <laughs> because I'm that type of person that's always been a planner. And it was like, oh, if I work hard, you know, even like when running marathons, it's like, you have a plan, you know what you need to do. 
and you'll get to, you know, the end point. And with this, it is very much, you could do everything that you can within your control, but at the end, it's like, you know, you just, you really are gambling. You know, it's a long answer right there, but I think with fertility, it, it should be uh, a topic that everyone talks about, even if you're not a couple that's struggling through it. And I forget the stats. I think it was like one out of seven couples deals with infertility. And I was joking with one of my girlfriends and I'm like, can I not have a baby shower? Just say, let me do a pre-pre baby shower. That, that way my family and friends can help me pay for our IVF. Because I, I was telling her, I was like, you know, I've spent so much money on baby showers for my family and friends you know, for their guests. Um, how about the other way around? Cause <laughs> it almost feels like I'd feel less guilty knowing that I've spent so much, but that's for another day. <laughs> Thank you for, for the long story. I, I really appreciate it. And my wife and I, we know a few people who in our close circle who are going through similar challenges. When I observed you telling the story, the word just again to me, and I know it didn't land with you, but courage comes out to share that story because of the to use your word earlier, taboo topic of many of these things, but yet so many, one of seven people are dealing with that. And, and as as you're talking, I'm thinking about you traveling around, having this in the back of your mind, having to show up on stage with a smile, but yet all of this going in their background just makes me think of just our, our whole system of how we just exclude many, <laughs> or we, we ignore many stories despite it's it's taxing our mental bandwidth. And then we assume that people can make a financial decision like you're talking about of should I take a loan or not? And this uh, with all these different types of interest rates, probably words, which you're, you're helping educate people on the financial literacy side, but having to make these decisions when it's based on, you know, the life of their child, it's, it's very difficult. So I think there's a lot of people who probably are then listening to your podcast, really, really appreciating what you're talking about because we can't ignore the financial cost, but it's hard to dive into it when it's such emotionally draining, I can assume. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, what's it's strange is I'm lucky that I now am part of support groups. A lot of them are now virtual, right? And so I didn't know a lot of these things existed as far as resources for women, because very, like I said, very few people talk about it. When I publicly announced that I had, I had lost our baby, um, I had gotten so many messages, private as well, and, and they put it on their posts, but of women that have gone through multiple miscarriages and have never told anyone. And it's just the fact that it's, it's, it's almost, it, it brought this like a frustration that I had where I'm like, why don't we talk about these conversations? But you just said that you have friends that are going through, right? And I think the more we talk about it, then we can find out ways to support them. Because I think that's something that has been a challenge for me as well, because my, like my closest five girlfriends, I'm going to spy you say, None of them gone through what I went through. I had one that it took about a couple of years for her before she got pregnant. And so she understood a little bit of my journey, but as supportive as they can be, it's it's hard for them to understand if they don't know. And so educating our friends or family members on what they can do to help, I, I think can make it a little bit easier. And for me, I'm learning from women that have in our support group of what they're going through. And like, I didn't know you could really shop around different centers, you know, to see which one has a better rate. I didn't even know certain pharmacies charge different prices for medication. The medications are thousands of dollars for one cycle. And so you can shop around for that. And I've seen, and I, I thought about it, but I've seen so many different programs out of the country, right? In certain places in the world, if you're a citizen like like Spain or, you know, a lot of places in South America, fertility costs are completely paid for if you are by a certain age before 40, I believe. And I think there's different requirements, but my ball, I'm like, how is it in the US? We have apparently the best healthcare system and whatever, in place, there is not none of that support. And so I think the financial support of 
financial resources that should be uh, applied is important. And as a woman, I think that's one of the the difficult things where it happened a few times where I was like, I was a keynote speaker. I was about to go in and then I get some bad news or I get some, you know, update that I'm like, oh, I have to take my medication now or something. Just there's no way to not think about it for a minute. And then having to go in there and be in that zone. And sometimes it's when it's unexpected, you know, as women, we talk about our being career driven. I've always been career driven, but I always used to hate, and I still do when I hear people say, oh, you always chose your career. I thought you just chose your career over having family. And I never chose that. I said, no, I chose to have it all. And I thought I could. And it just turns out I was one of those seven couples that was going to be dealing with this and not knowing until it happens to you. And I think there's that misconception. And and when people don't understand that for us, we're women, we do have to work just as hard. I've talked about being usually the only woman, only person of color in the companies that I've worked for. And so there is this loneliness of feeling when you're trying to make financial decisions or work decisions that could be really difficult to be like, how do I make that choice? When it before would have been like, not a big deal, but now it's kind of like the other day, my, um, we've been doing some upgrades in the house and I had to step back on one of our projects. I'm like, you know what, that floor is going to have to stay there for a little bit longer now that we're dealing with this other treatment. And, you know, the, the savings that we had for something are going to be depleted because of this. And it's just kind of the things that you think you're setting yourselves up. And, and I was telling my mom about this where I'm like, you know, I save this much money because I wanted my kids to have, <laughs> you know, the financial support we didn't have or, you know, certain things that I thought we were doing right. And now it's going to be the opposite. And so I can't always think about the negative side. Um, my mom's extremely optimistic. So she's just like, you know, it focus on the fact that we do have, you know, good, do- like I have great doctors and um, surrounded by, you know, good system. And I, when I go into the office, I, the doctor's office, I feel like, okay, they're going to take care of me. I'm going to get the best treatment. Or, you know, even though it is expensive, all those things, it's like, at least I have that option or, you know, I'm still within that little window that I can do this. And so just kind of those things help me kind of evaluate my financial decision in a sense where I'm like, okay, it is kind of gambling, but I think I'd be more upset if I didn't try. I feel like the world needs more of you. (laughs) Yeah. And why I'm saying that is because, you know, your career is centered around financial literacy. And I feel like there is definitely an aura around the financial planners. At least I've been at conferences to never say I had to scale back on a project. I had to think about my finances where the narrative would go. Luckily, I started saving when I was young and I had this money put aside, almost shaming everyone in the crowd where... I can't say this for everyone, but many of those speakers I've met over times and I realized that was just a, a story in and itself. Your, your, your story just really highlights the human condition of the, our stories are ever changing. Like you said earlier, someone I really high, hold high regard for always says we're always aspiring, but never arriving. And this idea of like our story is always changing and we come up to these financial circumstances, these emotional uh, situations and going back to this idea of like you, you talking about these things and being authentic, I think is just so, so important for the people who, who listen to you on your podcast and speaking because life isn't perfect. It's hard. <laughs> not, not perfect, but like so many of these speakers go up there and just like, I've got everything figured out and they go home and... It's just funny how you said that because earlier you said everyone's going through something. And I have one of my dearest friends um, who's going through her now third round of chemo excuse me, radiation, right? And she's been an incredible support to me as well. So I'm like, get emotional about it. She's young and obviously going through this. She has beautiful two little girls and and luckily she has a support group too. But, you know, having these conversations with her have been difficult because 
I want to be there for her and hearing what she's going through and the out of pocket expenses she's dealing with and the stress. And there's a moment where we both just cried together on the phone, you know, and I get emotional because I'm thinking about what she's going through and, and, and I've lost people to cancer before. So it's obviously, you know, there's that frustration that goes with that. And I was talking to another girlfriend about her because she knows her as well. And, and she goes, you know, nah, she goes, don't, because I said, how can I be complaining about this or dealing with my, you know, my situation as, as something that's difficult and, and when someone else is going through so much more, you know, and, and, and we do that all the time it, with our loved ones. We're like, oh, I shouldn't be complaining. So and so's dealing with this. And the way she said, she's, she had read an article. I can't remember the name of it now, but it described the way women go through infertility has the exact same emotional stress and frustration that cancer patients go through as far as the financial side of it, um, because it is extremely expensive. How your 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 life is completely uprooted because you're going through doctor's appointments almost every day. You're getting probed at, you're getting blood, you know, blood taken out every other day. You're doing shots, you're doing all these physical acts that a lot of cancer patients go through. And I never thought of it like that. And, and you know, and my, my girlfriend who is going through it, she's amazing because she's like, no, you're going through it. And it's just like, how, you know, and, and how does she find the capacity to do that? And I think that's, it's also really made me appreciate not just women. My husband's been amazing, but like really how I appreciate women and how they know what their body can do and kind of trust that. Because I think that's one of the hardest parts when I'm fairly healthy. So I feel very fortunate in that, that I don't have to deal with other things that I know other women have gone through. But it's interesting how, once again, kind of going back to, it's a different type of, I don't want to call it illness, but situation that causes us to feel some of that frustration. And I hear that a lot from college students, those that are sometimes feel suicidal because they're dealing with so much emotional strain of their, their finances because they're going to have this, you know, six-figure debt when they graduate and they don't have a real good job in place or um, offered, or they might have to move back home. And they're going through so many choices that they have to make. It's like they feel some of that frustration. So everyone goes through something different, and whether it is an illness or or major financial decisions they have to make. But a lot of the emotional side is very much very similar. So sometimes it's talking to someone like, you know, me talking to you, I've never met you, but obviously I, I love what you're doing and being able to connect with someone because you you just don't know how who else who else needs that. And for me, I actually reached out to when I, when it happened to me, I reached out to a girlfriend around and talked to her in a few years especially because of the pandemic, you don't really see it. You hadn't really seen anybody. And she had, was very open about being pregnant 10 times and losing seven miscarriages. And look, she has three beautiful children. And she was very public about what that was for her. And I reached out and I'm like, thank you for saying that. Cause I, I needed to talk to somebody about what she went through and kind of give me the strength to understand that there's these options that I can deal with. And so sometimes it's with that one post that somebody puts and, and you have no idea how they're going to take it. And I remember when I posted, I had one person that reached out. She didn't miscarry, but she wrote such a beautiful message, something like that one of her friends had just had miscarried or had miscarried a couple times. And she had no clue how she was mourning alone and dealing with that, you know, the added on cost. It's extremely expensive to have the surgery to remove it, had, you know, just taking care of yourself and all those. And she's like, I wish I could have been more supportive. But, you know, until I read what you were going through, now I know that I can be. Um, and sometimes it's just that where you're like, okay. Well, hopefully it helped her mm-hmm. or help somebody, but it's being able to connect with other people that might've got through. And that's why when it comes to our finances, we need to talk about these situations because you find yourself in it or hopefully you can prevent being in that 
it could go a long way. And I keep joking around my girlfriends, but I'm like, you know, no one was talking about freezing your eggs in college, you know, or things that you're like, okay, I should have done that. Or, you know, it didn't guarantee everything, but it's like these options that were, were available, but I didn't know because no one was talking about it. until this day, a lot of people don't talk about it. You know, we didn't plan out our conversation, but I'm so, I'm so thankful because this is just, I mean, as I'm sitting here thinking about, I guess the pressures women already have to face in the workforce and how the systems exclude many, many, which, which needs to be changed. But then you add this on top of it. We just don't know what people are going through. And when I opened up, we talked about that one size fits all financial plan, which you made a comment earlier about, well, that would be a terrible investment if you have nothing to show for it, but we cannot, you can't do a financial illustration out for the emotional toll of trying I think that's what I'm really, really hearing. It's just this idea, again, that we all have a story. And if we don't take a time to listen to someone's story, then perhaps we're doing more harm in the financial services industry. I know you have another call and I, I, I really appreciate your just being authentic and, and telling these real stories, not putting a facade. You could have came on here and just said, your podcast is great. I've listened to it. It's really good. I like it. And, but you could have just went on there. But we are all humans behind our internet profiles. Yeah, you caught me in a, in a place where I'm in it. So like, you know, let's talk about it. Yeah. And, and a different day, right? I probably would have just been like more of the... That's fine. Portions. <laughs> I, think, I think it's great. And with our, our time left here, I want to be conscious because you have a call. You talked about even posting on Instagram, like maybe someone sees that. When I was reading through your work, it made me think of this and it, it applies to the Instagram post, but... I was looking at some research around just our financial uh, systems in the U.S. And that's where you're out of. But whether this was a couple of years old, but it, it quoted that Latino Americans make 73 or 73 cents for every dollar for uh, earned by a white American. So we know that there's financial discriminations against many, many, many individuals. So I want to hold that on because when I look at you. You're part of that 4% I talked about who earned a master's degree in the U.S., the first Salvadorian-American female to publish a book about finance and elimination of debt. I recall if someone said this to me, but it, it said something to the degree of when someone sees me, they give me permission to be me. And your quote or your Instagram thing makes me think about that, is that even though you're not actually seeing them, but your story is seeing them. But also you coming in and writing a book, getting your master's, what significance, if you've ever thought about this, do you feel the work you're doing is allowing other Latinos to see themselves and be themselves so they can be the next author and increase that 4% to a higher percentage? Such a good question. Just that, you know, I think about the people that have come before me and how they inspired me to to dream big and to, to do these things that I Till this day, I can't believe all the things that I've been so mm -hmm. fortunate to be, a, be able to do. I've dreamt about it and I thought about it and I wrote about it. And, you know, I still can't believe that's that's been my life. So I, I, I'm extremely blessed in that sense. But I think it's just what you said. It's hopefully it'll it'll change that. And and the other day I was thinking about that. I'm, I'm coming up on a panel soon where there's women on it that I mentored when they were just starting out. And it, it brings me so much joy. The fact that now there is women, women of color speaking about financial literacy. I mean, I've been doing this since 2007. And so there was hardly anyone talking about this. Mm -hmm. And now that there's influencers or everyone to call them, you know, now talking about these incredible subjects, I think that's what kind of motivates me because it's those people that had the nerve to talk about their struggles that have helped me cope with it. And, and I remember my doctor saying, 
And this is part of why it took me a few weeks to actually publicly post what I was going through. I think it was out of anger when she said it and she, she, she did it so well, but she said, you know, it's so sad, but she's like, most women choose to take the pill or something to help them pass their miscarriage on a Friday. So that way they can be back at work on Monday. And at that time, you know, most employees, uh, maybe your colleagues don't know that you're pregnant or whatever it might be. And I thought how emotionally frustrating that must be because you still need time to mourn your loss. It's, it literally is a death in the family and dealing with all this, but to do it morning, morning in silence. And the fact that most, she's, uh, there was an article that I had, to, I did research and I had to look at many articles. And one that just really stuck to me was more than 50% of women choose, would love to choose doing the surgery, but can't because they can't afford to. So they have to go through the other means. And so I think about talking about this, hopefully will help someone else making those financial decisions. I'm grateful. I have a support team that's been telling me that when, one who's, who's gone through it. I'm going through now and she's like, I wish I would have known. I probably wouldn't have spent that much money at this center and here and then I needed this. And so that's what's really helpful. And I'm like, why don't we have enough guides for this? Because we have tons of car guides, how to buy a car, how to buy a house. Shoot, I've written books at the center. So <laughs> it's like, why not? Why not one for fertility? Because it is, it's not one that you can just get a loan for. There are loan programs and all that, but it's the financial decision you have to make, hopefully as rational as you can be. But Thank you for saying that. I think it's it's my biggest goal, and I said it in my tent, but I believe it is. I want financial literacy to be universal language. I don't want it to be a foreign language, and and that includes every taboo topic that goes with financial literacy. Well, you're doing an excellent job, and there there might be a, a future book that uh, or a guide that you can influence someone write or someone could write because it sounds like there's many people who need that. Thank you. Yeah, I guess that's on my. Uh, my next to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> Within due time. <laughs> no yes. rush. Well, thank you. And I want to get you to your conference or your speaking on time. Where where can people find you quickly? And I'll link it all in the show notes as well. We've been talking about Instagram. It's most of my social media is been savvy Latina, F-I-S-A-V-V-Y, Latina. And um, our podcast is Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes, which is bilingual. And most of my content is bilingual. So you could find me in those in those realms and, and through LinkedIn, my name, Natalie Torres Haddad. But thank you so much for having me and obviously opening up this conversation to your listeners because you just said it. It's important for everybody to know. It, it definitely is. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Natalie. It was a treat to have Natalie on the show today. Her real and authentic story was really moving and inspiring for me. As somebody who's in the personal finance space myself, I find it so humbling when people like Natalie show up and talk about the real story. Natalie could have talked about how everything is in order and thank goodness she's a personal finance expert so that she can deal with these unexpected costs, but that's not life. And I appreciate Natalie for telling the truth, telling her story. I highly encourage everyone to go follow Natalie on her social media. The links are in the show notes and get a copy of her book. Natalie has some wonderful things to talk about. I'm going to also include her TEDx presentation, The Foreign Language of Money. Watch that TED Talk as it is fantastic. Now, one of the fun things on this podcast is we get to talk to wonderful individuals like Natalie and then from time to time, I get to collaborate with the musician Root Hub to sing a song, a song about their story. Here's a song that Root Hub wrote for Natalie after listening to our conversation. The song is called The Cost of the Carry. 
Thank you, Ruthub, and thank you, Natalie. I hope everybody enjoys this song. Until next time, have a good week.
something everybody knows. 